Hello and welcome to the Manchester Apex Podcast. My name is Steve Railstead. I am your host today on today's episode, and I am joined by my colleagues Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall. We are recording after United defeated Ammonia 3 2 in the Europa League on Thursday night. Samuel, you obviously at the game in sunny Cyprus, so has it been sunny? It's been extremely sunny, sunny, they... I should say. Um, it's I, some of us haven't seen too much of the uh, of the sun just because of the amount of work we've been doing, of course, and uh, being busy. But uh, it's where the game's been placed in Nicosia. Uh, it's not exactly the place tourists flock to. Uh, it's nowhere near the beach. It's very central Cyprus, so uh, you might have got a perspective from the stadium. Uh, the, the surroundings of it, it's pretty much surrounded by a motorway, uh, the GSP stadium, but it's it's still good to go to another country and, and watch football and, uh, you know, yeah, savour and experience the atmosphere that the, uh, the locals have to offer. Well, I'm actually in Salford as usual and tourists don't exactly flock there either, so that's got it in common with, uh, with where you are. We'll get straight into the game, Samuel. Obviously, you were at the match, you're currently in the airport recording. Um, what were you? What was your verdict uh, after the game straight away? Because at half time it had the potential to be another low, didn't it? It certainly did. Uh, Ammonia are just about the worst team I've ever seen live without actually losing a game. They they did their utmost to give United a helping hand. United did everything but score the goal. From then felt inevitable, and then you've got two dreadful mistakes by two players who are all of a sudden out of form and it turns attack into defence and, and United still 1-0 down and I mean Neil Lennon was right when he spoke afterwards he said that half time came at a good time for United because the instant reaction to going 1-0 down was was dreadful and, and Ten Hag said that as well uh, post-match he said that United the way they played in those 10 minutes was the worst 10 minutes all night and I don't think too many people would disagree with him in fairness to him, he, he made proactive changes. The two players who came on got the goals. Um, he, he was very decisive in taking Malasio off again, uh, as well as Sancho. I'm struggling to remember a United player being you know, having the humiliation of being subbed two games running at half-time, but that's what's happened to Malasio. And Rashford came on. He's, he's got his all of his goals this season from the left wing. We've spoken about this before. That is... That is his one and only uh, position of strength. That's where he should be playing. I think that's where he's got to play against Everton on Sunday. And I suppose it typified the evening that even after they, they made it 3-1, they conceded a minute later. They they did their utmost to make that evening as awkward as possible for them. But in the end, all's well, just about ended well because they, they did come back. They did win the game. They did avert disaster. But certainly for 50 minutes, um, it, it had the makings of, of, of a new low this season. Ty, if we're completely honest, Ammonia weren't very good. I remember one of your blog posts actually said they're, they're very limited. And that was probably been, been nicer than really to the other side. Um, obviously, they did score two goals, which is far from ideal. I guess it was a case of job done. Um, but Ten Hag's changes did change the game in the end at half-time. He obviously brought on Luke Shaw and Marcus Rashford, as Samuel's just touched upon. And that's a sign of a good manager, isn't it? Surely that can change the game with substitutes. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I was actually um, halfway through a blog post talking about how United hadn't really been ruthless in the first 35 minutes, but were, were dominating a poor team when Omanaya somehow got that goal. And it was... 
it was one of those occasions where you just have to laugh at the opposition scoring because of the way the game had played out and and how it had happened. But yeah, like it, it, it he's got a habit of making halftime changes. I did a feature on it this morning. That's in six of the ten games now he's made a change at halftime. He's made ten halftime changes in total. Some of them have clearly been pre-planned. Um, Sociedad, I think he took Ericsson off at halftime. Um, the Europa League game in Moldova, I think it was McTominay maybe who came off at halftime. Um, so there's clearly subs that he's, he's pre-planning to make in, in these games. But a lot of them are tactical too. He's, he's taken players off at halftime in thrashings. He was ruthless last night, taking the left side off entirely. Um, and it, it is a sign of a good manager that he's willing to do that. And, and the subs are working. In five goals, the last five goals scored this week have all been by subs. It's, a, it's good that the subs are making an impact off the bench. When they know this is a possibility of half-time changes, they're going to be ready and, and ready to make an impact. And it was it was very encouraging. And I think the subs, the subs who came on should all really be starting at Goodison on, on Saturday now. I think Luke Shaw's got to be ahead of Malassia for me. Um, I think Shaw's done done pretty well coming on off the bench these two games. Malassia's had a decent start to his United career, but he's he's still a player in development. And like Samuel says, being hooked twice at halftime this week is is not great for him. Thought Shaw was really good for England as well in the international break. And I think he he deserves to to win his place back, really. And, and like Samuel said, with Rashford and Martial, I think they're they're in United's best front three at the moment. They both looked really confident last night. And I think they're both they're both benefiting from working with Ten Hag as well. When you think where their careers were, even a even three or four months ago at the start of the summer. I, I don't think anyone would have really predicted they'd be in this position. So it, it's credit to them and it's definitely credit to Ten Hag for, for what he's doing with them. I completely agree with you about Luke Shaw there, Ty. I think at the moment he's offering a little bit more going forward than Malassia is and he's adding a bit more to the attacks. And I think he's probably overall at this stage, probably the more complete player, I think it's fair to say, um, compared to Malassia. Samuel, if we continue dissecting a few performances then, you kind of talked about Jaden Sancho there. We talked about him earlier in the week on the podcast and I think I said he was in danger of becoming a 73 million flop at, at this stage. It was another really, really poor performance from Sancho, who was obviously brought off at half-time. Um, is it as simple as dropping him for Everton? It has to be. I, I don't think there's any other alternative for Ten Hag when you've got two very good alternatives in, in Rashford and Martial. Who, with, with Martial... I, I mean, Ten Hag is sticking to a plan there. It, it, he did undermine what he said about Ronaldo at the weekend by then starting Ronaldo and then not starting the guy that he gave minutes for uh, in, in the game against City. But Sancho, even I think we were even saying at the start of the season when he was getting goals in games, he he would go very quiet after scoring. Uh, and, and those goals against Liverpool and Leicester, they came... Some like midway through the first halves of, of each of those games, you know, there, there was still a fair amount of football to be played uh, before half time in those games, and then of course you've got another half entirely, and he just meanders through games, and he was very very sloppy before his his pass. It, it didn't play Malassia into trouble. I mean, it was a poor pass, but it was met with an equally poor touch uh, that, that instigated that breakaway for Ammonia. But I just don't understand sometimes, and, and Anthony was guilty of it as well last night when he was rolling his foot over the ball. And fair enough if you're three nil up, do that. But there must be something in the water at United for forwards to go there, and for them to become so lethargic and not to work like demons, which is what they do at Manchester City. And those forwards at Manchester City, 
uh, are more gifted than, than Manchester United forwards as well. And what it, what it, whoever the manager is, it, it keeps on happening. I mean, there there was some there've been some alarming parallels in recent days uh, with with conceding six goals and fullbacks being targeted because the wingers don't protect them, which is what happened against Tottenham two years ago. And of course. I was surprised that Basak Sahir didn't trend last night after the, the goal went in because as soon as Malaysia lost the ball, I think we were all thinking, Frank, it's like, it's like Basak Sahir. I mean, they, they, they were actually more advanced. Uh, they, they allocated more acreage to the opponents than they did to, um, to Denver Bar uh, two years ago. And it's, it's, it's got to be a mentality issue. It's got to be an organisational issue, but sometimes it's just inherent in a club. I, I always look at Tottenham even still, um, you know, the, the, the way that the manner in which they lost to Arsenal last week, the, the red card, which I didn't think was a red card, it happens at 2-1. And Tottenham are a very, very safe bet that if a bad decision goes against them, they, they're going to just toss in the towel because that, that is ingrained in that club. You go back to the infamous um, Howard Webb decision with the penalty in the 5-2 game. It was an appalling decision, but Tottenham were 2-0 up at the time. And OK, the penalty goes in and it makes it 2-1. But you know there and then you might as well end the game and Tottenham might as well take the defeat because they toss in the towel. Certain clubs just have that. Um, that, that yeah, it's, it's an unflattering identity, but it is a way of identifying them. And United have become a club where anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And look, they they overcame the, the setback last night and the response in the second half was excellent. They scored early. The, the manager made proactive changes. They were the right changes. But there have been, I think in recent games, there have been times that Ten Hag has been too loyal for his own good. And he, he obviously he's played Casemiro out of the team by not playing him at all. And I, I still don't think it's not a real certainty that Casemiro will start at the weekend. I don't think he had a massively visible effect, uh, impact last night, although he, there wasn't a lot of defending to be done against Ammonia. But with Malassia, I think most of us probably had Shaw down to start or would have ch- selected Shaw to start in that game last night. But then in, in starting Malassia, you think fair dues, it's his signing, one half shouldn't define him. But Malassia, like Sancho, before his mistake with the goal, he was he was sloppy. Um, I remember, he, I think in the first half, he did a, a decent recovery flick where he played it to Ericsson. And then Ericsson plays the pass because he's expecting Malassia to run onto it, but he didn't. And it's almost as if Malassia's thinking, well, I've failed myself out here. That That's that's me done for that little bit of work. I can get a breather here. It doesn't work like that. You've got to be got to be at your optimum for 90 minutes and that's what separates the group the, the great from the also runs that's why Manchester City is so great and like Ten Hag has touched upon it in his embargo bit um, I, I suspect the podcast is going out uh, just just after that embargo is lifted but he talked about um, the, the, the need for United to become a more intense team but in recent years they've not been an intense team so it's not going to happen overnight and Sancho is very, very guilty of that. And I think it was quite apparent in his playing style at the start of his United career last season that he's, for whatever reason, he's gone to a much more intense league, but he's almost slowing down the play. And there have been times I've watched him and thought, you know, it's, it's evoked memories of, of Berbatov getting the ball, uh, like, like a Mavericks player. They just want to take the tempo down, play at a completely different pace. 
and it's completely out of kilter with the pace you need to operate with at that level. Obviously, Malassia made the made the mistake for the goal, didn't he, Samuel? But Sancho definitely had a, a role to play in that himself. That the pass back to Malassia was definitely questionable at that point. Um, maybe pass it forward, don't pass it back at that stage when United are kind of just outside the box from the corner, I think. Watching the clip back anyways in hindsight. Um, time for move on to some positives. Obviously, one of the positives was, was Rashford's performance. He's been one of the big positives all season. It was obviously um, the Premier League's player, player of the month for September. Won that alongside Ten Hag, winning manager of the month. He's now got five goals and three assists and he is playing with a bit of confidence again. So that's great to see, isn't it? And that was a positive from last night. It was, yeah, yeah. Just quickly touching on Sancho as well, um, again. The, you mentioned there the, the pass back for the goal. What I thought was in, interesting as well from that is that when Malassia makes that mistake, Sancho looks to the ground and I mean, he barely even jogs back, to be honest. Casemiro was about 10 yards in front of him and had been further forward for the free kick. And then I would say within three yards, he was level with him and another three yards, he was past him because he was sprinting back. And if you watch, if you watch the replay, it's on the BT Sport Twitter, and you can just see at the start, Sancho never sprints to get back. It's just head down. There's been a mistake. Just jogging where everyone else is is sprinting. And I know Ten Hag didn't mention it and explain the reasons for the sub, but when you see that, we know hard work is non-negotiable for Ten Hag. I think he proved that after Brentford. And you look at that reaction, and that's just not going to go down well with the manager. I know it wouldn't have stopped the goal, but had De Gea made a save, say, and the play had been recycled, then he could have sprinted back and. It might have been, it might have made a difference. So I thought that was pretty instructive, really, on, on Sancho. But yeah, on positives, Rashford were really good again. Um took his took his first goal brilliantly. Fantastic finish. Um just looks really, really confident at the moment. Like a a completely different player. And I think you know, I touched on it before with, with Rashford and Martial. I mean, if you'd have been asked to pick, you, you think after the last day of last season and Ten Hag's first introductory press conference, if you'd have been told then United would spend £85 million on a winger as well, would pick United's front three, you'd have had Rashford and Martial nowhere near it. Yet now you look at Everton and you think those two are the first two names in the team sheet when it comes to picking a front three, probably with Anthony at the moment. Um, and they, you know, they've, they've both been been excellent. Um, like I say Rashford took his goal well, but Martial's goal was superb too. And his, his double at, um, his two goals at the Etihad kind of got overshadowed by by what happened and, and the fiasco there but his his penalty against City I thought was absolutely sensational I mean there's no goalkeeper in the world that is saving that penalty right in the top corner and maybe it's easy to do it at 6-2 down but it struck me then that that was a sign of a player full of confidence and I think you're seeing that with both Ashford and Martial and I go back to you know when, when Ten Hag was appointed and got the job I think there was, a, there was a view in the dressing room that his his coaching credentials were were pretty good and the players were looking forward to that, even if there was doubts about sort of his ability to manage a big club. And you can see already, you know, it was ten games in now. I don't. It, it, it's been an okay start. I don't. I don't think it's been much more than okay. Um, there have been four defeats, so you know, there's, there's no cast iron guarantee of success. I think in those ten games, but what we are seeing is his ability to improve individual players and work with individual players. He's clearly a, a training ground manager, unlike Ranić and Solskjaer. In Rashford and Martial, are the best two examples of players who. He has improved for working with individually and giving them clear, defined roles in a system. And like I say, four or five months ago, you thought both were maybe coming to the end of their United careers, and now they're they're two of the most important players. And I think that's you know in the first ten games, that's maybe the biggest thing Tenag has actually given United. Martial scored his hundredth goal last night, Samuel, which was a big career milestone for him. 
which you know, congratulations, impressive uh, on that front. Um, we've just kind of discussed it. You've both kind of made the point and evident on the weekend on Sunday. Uh, Martial through the middle, Rashford on the left, and Anthony. That's the front three I would go with. Would you agree with that? Yeah, although Anthony probably gets in by default yeah. because, again, his, his performance level is nothing to really write home about. He scored a couple of good goals, one a complete irrelevance in the grand scheme of things against City. But he's, I mean, that, that's his game at the weekend. Uh, in fact, even the Arsenal game uh, on his debut, that should have been you know, a, a real, it should have underlined to him that you know he's not in the area to BC anymore. And he did score the goal that game. But other than that, he, he didn't do a great deal about it. But of course, if you've got a goal on your debut and the team win, obviously everybody's going to be um, going to home in on the positives. But that's what I like about Tim Hag. He said himself that he is critical in his analysis of, of wins. And that's exactly the standards and the mentality that a club like United need to have. And the previous, certainly the last previous permanent regime, you got the impression that it was good vibes only, a win's a win. There are some very thin-skinned people uh, in that dressing room. Uh, players and previously you know, the, the manager could be a bit touchy over... Uh, certain aspects of criticism, but you you need to be self-critical, uh, and that that's especially if you're United as well. I mean, the last the last five years, the way it's gone, how can you not accept criticism? So the fact that they've actually got a manager who is looking for errors in victory, I think is a, is a progressive step forward. And as, as you said, I mean, he's. With, with that front three this weekend, I think it really should pick itself. Whether he, he starts Martial remains to be seen because he, he said that there is a plan there with easing him back in after he suffered two quite serious injuries at the start of the season. That you know, he'd, he'd have started for United by now, but for those two injuries. But he's got three goals in his two games. He scored more times against Everton than any other team. I think it's just a no-brainer, really. And again, that's a sign of Ten Hag's uh, impact that you're looking, certainly looking at Rashford last week, and you thought, yeah, if he's fit, he should start ahead for an hour in the derby. You're looking at Marshall this week, and you're thinking, if, if Ten Hag deems him fit enough to start, he should start ahead of Ronaldo against, uh, against Everton. Ty, one of the huge points, the big talking points in the last few weeks has obviously been Casemiro and McTominay playing over him. It's almost felt like a crime to have Casemiro on the bench while McTominay's been playing. But McTominay's been all right. I think his only blip really was, was in the Manchester derby where he was quite poor that day. Obviously, Casemiro's coming to the team on Thursday night. Um, I thought Casemiro was poor against Sociedad the other week at Old Trafford. He, but there was obviously mitigating factors to explain that performance. So, what was your verdict on his performance last night? And was it enough to get into the team? Was it enough to make a case to Ten Hag to go, look, start me. I, this is my position over McTominay. Um, he was better last night. He was sharper. Um, he used the ball well. He, he dropped deep and took possession off Lindelof mostly. Um, Martinez didn't really need to pass the defensive midfielder. His forward passing was, was so impressive, I thought, in that game into the front three. Um, but yeah, Casemiro was better, but I wouldn't have him nailed down to play instead of McTominay. In fact, I think the fact he played 80 minutes suggests to me that McTominay might well start at, at Goodison. Um, you know, I, I thought it was pretty instructive to hear Ten Hag on uh, Wednesday talking about Casemiro and how he'd had some fitness problems when he first arrived. Um, 
talking about McTominay's record in the team when United play. Now, he didn't play against Brentford. He came on at half-time and then were only 4-0 down. Then played in the next five wins. Obviously, like you say, he played in the derby and he wasn't great in the derby. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think Casemiro has yet made an indisputable case that he should be starting in that team. His, his track record suggests he should. But those, you know, those, we don't really know what those fitness problems are. But I think everyone who saw him against Sociedad thought he, he doesn't look up to speed. He looked really sluggish that night. He looked, you know, he looked fairly big, being brutally honest about it. Um, you know, when he Tide, looked... sorry, did you say, I, okay. obviously I was up in the air the other day. Did you say that Ten Hag said that Casemiro had fitness issues when he signed? Yeah, he, he had fitness issues, fitness problems when he signed, I think, um, or at the start. So, so, so. 70 million pounds on a midfielder who's, I mean, it just well, the mind boggles yeah. really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and a, and a midfielder who we, we was very, very different to the one that he really wanted. It's almost as if Real Madrid don't let good players go, isn't it? What <laughs> oh yeah. Who would have thought? I mean, there is, um, like you say, there's two things with it. I think the fact that he is incredibly different to De Jong. You, you know, you wonder how much he's talking about easing Casemiro in, but he's throwing Anthony straight in, Eriksen straight in, Martinez straight in. You wonder how much Casemiro is actually Ten Hag signing. Um, not a lot. And not a lot, I don't think. And also, you know, I, I listened to that answer on 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 Wednesday, Casemiro, and I think a few other people who were there too thought it and thought he's not you know he's not fully having him at the moment um you know i think that's that's the general view and you do wonder that there's this the, the name that sort of sticks out at the moment when you talk about casemiro and it's very early days is bastian Schweinsteiger, and there's, there's kind of comparisons there like you say that Bayern munich let Schweinsteiger go and everyone at united thought what an incredible deal we've got here but Bayern munich let him go because they knew he was he was on the decline and Real Madrid have basically replaced Casemiro over the last two windows with Suchemeni and Camavinga. And I think when they'd, they'd have happily kept him this season, but when United came knocking, knocking with £60 million up front for a 30 year old, you know, I think they were they were buying the airfare ticket straight away and, and sending him over here. And there is, you know, you, you'd like to see more from him at the moment. And United, United have to make this work because he's on huge money, he's got a four year contract. And if it if it goes badly, it's going to be a disastrous signing. It's going to be another example of just overpaying for for players who are, who are on the decline and being lumbered with them. Because if if he turns out to be a flop, United won't get rid of him because everyone else will have seen seen the evidence of, of, of sort of what we've seen so far. And obviously, it's very early days. He he certainly fits the profile of what United need in terms of being an elite defensive midfielder. But you just hope he is he is still an elite defensive midfielder, and that those days aren't sort of two or three years behind him. Felt sorry for you, Samuel, being up in the air on um, Wednesday morning because that press conference was pretty decent, wasn't it, Ty? It's not always that much happens. Better but... than Moldova, it'd be fair <laughs> to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't set a high bar, did so it? So three year in the league, it was very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, if we've said that Cas Casemiro might not be a Ten Hag saying, and Samuel, obviously, Ma Sandra Martin has definitely was. Ten Hag love work with my Ajax and you can start to really see why he wanted him and why he was so keen to bring him to, to Manchester. I think both of you picked up on in your post-match reports about his passing and the way he breaks the lines and how impressive he's been in that regard. So do you think he's now undroppable really in that centre-back position? Uh, he's, he's had that status really since the start where Ten Hag told us in Melbourne that he was being, he was being brought to strengthen the team, not the squad. I think that was the answer we expected, but it was still you know, quite bold to 
uh, make that proclamation when I don't think that Martinez had even trained with United at that point. I think the, the deal was yet to be fully completed. And again, Fedus Ten Hag, he, you know, he took him off at half-time against Brentford, but was brave enough to keep him in the same against Liverpool, drop the captain. And I think Martinez has, by and large, gone from strength to strength. Um, the, the derby at the weekend, I mean, nobody came out from out away from that uh, from the Etihad covered in glory, uh, as certainly as far as the starters were concerned. And yeah, there was maybe Haaland's hat trick goal where Martinez gets done by him, but it, he wasn't obviously dreadful in that game. Even though the defence ended up shipping uh, six goals, I mean, there was a, a, a lot of there's a lot of nuance to the way you know to how porous and loose United were. And again, I think the the forwards were the bigger problem at City, but. On his debut, sorry, not on his debut, the first game he played in that friendly against Vallecano, it was apparent how good Martinez's distribution was. And you go back to the Ajax scouting reports, I think as far back as January 2017, when they first clapped eyes on him, and they noted what a good passer he was, how he could switch the play, how he could pass between the lines. And that's really what's something that Maguire should have been doing for United, especially for the fee they paid for him. But you never really, you've never really seen that from him. Whereas Martinez is a couple of months into his United career and it's one of his distinguishing features. And as, as you say, um, it's, it's, you know, it speaks volumes of him that United chipped six goals in a derby. But the next week, uh, come, come Sunday at Everton, I don't think there'll be anyone who would say he should be taken out of that team. And it was a good response from him on, on, on Thursday night, albeit against uh, not particularly testing opposition. But... I think in the first half, certainly, you know, he as a defender ends it as probably United's best attacker. I'd just like to note a, a Manchester's Red podcast milestone because I think we're 25 minutes in and we've not mentioned Ronaldo. So apologies to Cristiano if he's <laughs> listening. But that does reflect Ty, his, his kind of his, his status in the last few weeks, doesn't it? He's become a bit of a sideshow. Obviously, he was asked a lot, a lot of questions about him on that press conference on Wednesday morning. But he came on, obviously started last night, sorry. Um, it wasn't really his night, was it? Uh, what did you think of his performance? And I guess I wanted to ask you, can we see him stay on the bench all season? Is that a real possibility? Because it looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it, I think, I think it probably is. Um, I mean, Tenag seemed to really enjoy talking about Ronaldo on Wednesday in his, uh, in his pre-match <laughs> press conference. Um, it, it, it's hard to know what to make of that performance last night because he had a lot of chances and he looked sharper than he has done. But the, the ball just wouldn't go in for him. And it's it kind of, you know, strikers have those off nights, but it does kind of sum up where you feel he is at the moment. And that two or three years ago, he'd got a hat-trick in that game. I think I think I read in one of Samuel's pieces today that he had nine shots in the game. And, and you know, a lot of them were, were pretty decent chances. I thought that the first the first chance he had with his left foot, I thought it was a brilliant save from the goalkeeper. And, and Ronaldo actually hit it really well. But you look at the one at the end when he hit the post, um, I mean, chances like that, he would he would bury with his eyes closed a few years ago. And if you watch that game and you watch the second half and the impact Rashford and Martial have, you're hard-pressed to make a case for Ronaldo starting ahead of either, either of those and being in United's best team at the moment. Not just from a goal-scoring point of view, but from what Ten Hag wants. And, you know, he, Ten Hag clearly doesn't enjoy being asked about it, but the unfortunate reality for him is that in pretty much every press conference at the moment, he's going to be asked about it because it is a big story. Ronaldo is, with Messi, one of the 
one of the, well, he's the biggest, one of the two biggest players of, of this generation, one of the best players there's ever been. Um, and the fact is that he's he he is essentially, you know, Samuel Aston after after the game at the Etihad is his third choice striker now, and beat at the Etihad gave him a handy excuse to say I didn't bring him on out of respect for his great career, and that. Yeah, that, that was a handy excuse because had that game been 1-1 with 20 minutes to go, I still don't think it had brought him on, to be honest. Um, and, and then you've got to explain it away. So it, it kind of gave him a good excuse. But I think if you were asking him who is, you know, Ten Hag's being honest, I think his centre-forwards would maybe be Marshall, then Rashford, then Ronaldo at the moment. Um, and if that continues, it, it is going to be a, a talking point. It, you know, it does feel like the best scenario is that he goes from Portugal has a good World Cup, scores four or five goals and, and someone comes in for him in January because if he is on the bench all season, if he is basically the Europa League striker, then it's, it's going to continue to be a talking point and it is going to continue to dominate press conferences as much as Ten Hag might, might like it to be otherwise. I've watched you at five side before, Ty, and you would have finished that at the end, wouldn't you? The he 100% the... mate, <laughs> left foot or right. <laughs> Um, Samuel, if we just turn our attention to Everton then before the end of the podcast, I think our colleague um, Dan Murphy brought it to our attention that Everton have actually conceded the fewest goals in the Premier League this season, which is an impressive yeah. start. I think it's uh, yeah. seven. Yeah, so it just shows the, the progress that Lampard has perhaps been making despite the popular opinion. Um, so my question was really, we see United in these games, I think they're better on the counter-attack, that's how they got the results against Liverpool and Arsenal. Presume evident they're going to sit deeper, Goodison. They're going to, you know, they're going to play a low block. Do United have enough talent in that attack, or can they unlock Everton when they're playing in, in, with that approach? Really, and can you see them? You see the game going like that? It, it's a game that spans highlight the importance of Ericsson and he's not, he's not really been at his optimum in the last two games. But the fact that Ten Hag has started in in literally every game this season is is a reflection of how how pivotal he is to United. It was interesting that I saw in the transcript from the press conference on Wednesday, Ten Hag said that he didn't really differentiate Europa League from the Premier League. And you could argue that the teams he selected in the last Europa League games have maybe been too strong, but it was, it was just as well he did pick the team that he did pick last night because it was certainly a more um, a more tighter affair than, than most expected. But Ericsson's a real non-negotiable at the moment because, he, as, as we all knew, uh, and no, he wanted De Jong to play that role from deep and be the creator. And Ericsson is having to, to occupy that role uh, for the time being. And I'd, I'd still say for you know, for this season, he's probably been United's best player. He's had a couple of poor performances or substandard performances. He wasn't at his optimum last night. But United are not going to have as, anywhere near as many chances at Everton as they did in, in Nicosia. And I suppose it's their good fortune that Everton aren't the most punishing of sides either. I think they have scored seven goals as well as conceded seven goals. So they're, they're pretty pretty miserly at both ends. But I think when at the start of the season, a lot of people probably saw looked at Everton and thought that's their, their relegation fodder. And their starting level is distinctly underwhelming. And that game at Goodson in April last season was, was a really strange one in that Everton fans were looking to pick a fight with with the, some of the players in, in the case of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and it was a dreadful game it was a dreadful standard uh, the only goal was a deflected goal and that was scored by probably one of the few players on the pitch who was entirely committed to the cause in Anthony Gordon United have made yeah, a, a bit of progress since then but 
we are yet to see any evidence of them as a team that can play the ball progressively and proactively and break down teams. Their wins this season have been underpinned by pragmatism and, and counter-attacking football. So that's why this weekend is a pretty fascinating test and one that I think we're all looking forward to, apart from the abysmal kickoff time of 7pm on, on a Sunday. Uh, thanks to the broadcasters for that. It, it, it would be great if the other broadcasters could settle on a kickoff time for Chelsea away, which is in um, 15 days' time at the time of speaking. Just, it, just a staggering amount of contempt that these people have for matchgoers. So, um, you know, at Goodson Park, in fairness, evening game, it, that can generate a hell of an atmosphere and Everton have got, you know, have got something to look forward to now. They've got a decent win coming from behind against Southampton last week. So it's it's a it's a really good test of United, you know, t- a pretty, pretty tense atmosphere, pretty raucous atmosphere and, and they've got to, sooner or later, master the style that Ten Hagen wants them to play in. I'm sure your entire run will be delighted to return to Manchester close to midnight on Sunday night from Goodison Park. <laughs> Didn't expect that. Um, Ty, last question. We've got the United have got Everton, Newcastle um, and Tottenham and Chelsea in the next four games. Uh, looking at that fixture list, how important is it that they avoid defeat against Everton and Newcastle? Because if they do suffer a loss in either of those games, surely the, the pressure is going to increase going into the, the bigger ones, isn't it? It's going to be the case. Yeah, it is. They, they, you know, they they always had some tricky games in this this thirteen game run or sprint really to, towards the World Cup. Obviously, they got off to a, a terrible start, shipping six to City, um, and they do need to to start getting results. Um, like Samuel said, Everton away is is a test. I was amazed at that start there that they conceded that they've got the best defensive record in the league, um, and United's record at Goodison recently is is pretty poor. So it, it is a tough game. At Old, Old Trafford against Newcastle, you would expect them to win that game. But I don't think there's any guarantees with, with Sunday, especially with the, like Samuel said, I was amazed how strong that team was last night. And I thought it was interesting to hear Bruno Fernandes in his MUTV interview um, said, referenced how they never get much time to prepare for games at Everton. And, and that was a reference to playing the, the 12.30 Saturday game there when they played Istanbul, Basak's here. Another mention for them on the the Wednesday night in, in Istanbul. And United sort of kept their counsel that day. 1-3-1 at Everton. And then Solskjaer kind of let rip afterwards about how furious he was getting the Wednesday night slot and then 12.30 on the Saturday. And I think that's why this game is a 7pm game because it's a, it's a BT Sport game. Their slot is normally 12.30 Saturday, but it's impossible with United being in, in Cyprus on Thursday. So the, the, gap, the gap between... The, the, the later gap gives United a bit more time to prepare, but it's still not ideal. Obviously, they've trained in, they stayed over in Cyprus and trained in Cyprus on, on Friday, which is unusual for them. But it is a tight turnaround. Everton are going to be well rested if they not played this week. And you, you do feel like that's going to be a real test for United because I think it's it's not going to be an easy game and they're going to have to show a lot of character given the, the travel they've had. And, and Cyprus is, you know, excuse me, four and a half hour, five hour flight. It's, you know, it, it's a tough week for them and it's, it's going to be a real test in, in, in what well, I guess is an awkward kickoff time. It was almost as if Fernandez was getting his excuse in already, wasn't it? With the, <laughs> yeah. That comment it, was, on TV. It, it shows that, I mean, that was two years ago now, I think that was November 2020. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, it shows that it's it's stuck in the mind that, and they were, because they kind of did the right thing that day because they never let it, they never let it be public knowledge that they were annoyed with the kickoff time. But they kind of used it as fuel to get the win. 
and then pointed it out rather than used an excuse. Whereas this time they've, they've got it in early that uh, it's uh, it's another short turnaround for them. I think we'll just leave it there. Then uh, Samuel's jumped off the call. He's, he's rushing around in the airport. But thank you very much, Ty, for your time today. No problem, Stephen. And thank you to the listeners. Take care.